incredibly bright people for watching this podcast. Guess who this is? No. No. Yeah, it's Yakko Warner. Or could it be Pinky? Or it might even be Carl finishing my croissant. Or it might be Raphael with a hot butch marshmallow tuna fish and Doritos pizza. Or even Donatello trying to figure out how my Apple Watch works. The main thing we all have in common is that we are pretty smart, just like you, because we watch and listen to the Canned Air Podcast. And one more thing. Narf! Welcome to a very special episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And hot damn, ladies and gentlemen, this episode has been some time coming, I have to say. We started this show in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we were thinking eagerly about guests we wanted to have on the show, and we got some pretty good ones there at the top. And one that we were wanting to get was Rob Paulson. But looking back, our, our uh, method of reaching out to these people was probably less than satisfactory. <laughs> probably, yeah. And uh, we didn't have, not to say that we look professional now, but we look more professional than we did <laughs> in those days. That's for damn sure. So anyway, it is our honor to welcome the legendary Rob Paulson to this show. And, I mean, voices he's done. Obviously, Yakko Warner from The Animaniacs, Pinky of Pinky in the Brain. And every other cartoon. If you've you've been alive in the last four decades, you've heard of him. Which you'll you'll definitely hear when we're talking to him. He lists some of the stuff he's been up, he's done over the years. If you get on his IMDb, you're going to think your scroll button is fucking broken or something because it just keeps going and going and going. It's constant scrolling, constantly. But um, and in stuff you wouldn't even imagine, and just. Quite literally, almost every cartoon. I know it can't literally be every cartoon, but when I was looking through there, I was hard pressed to find something I didn't know. You know, like everything I can remember as childhood he was in. Anyway, (laughs) not to harp on that too much. We're a little excited if you can't tell. Very excited. (laughs) But yeah, again, Yakko Warner, Pinky, he's Raph from the original team, uh, TMNT, uh, Donnie from the new uh, Nickelodeon. Incarnation. He was also PJ, which was Max's best friend in Goof Troop and in Goofy Movie. I used to love that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Weezer from Jimmy Neutron. And he, even in Hanna-Barbera, he was one of the Smurfs. He was Marco Smurf. Yes. What? Yeah, he was a Smurf, man. This guy has been talking since we were at our mama's teat. <laughs> Don't forget Arthur from The Tick. Arthur from The Tick. Excuse me. See, there's just so many. And if I keep... Throwing them out there as I go on because I don't know them all. But before we get to it, don't forget to find us on Twitter at Canned Air Pod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you like what we're doing, want to show some support and get some extra content for said support, head over to our website, CannedAirPodcast.com, and click the Patreon button. Or you can just head to Patreon.com and search the Canned Air Podcast. But uh, again, it's an easy way for uh, you to support us and get some stuff back for said support. And uh, what else we have, gentlemen? We are now the proud members of the Evergreen uh, Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Very really, proud. Really looking forward to all that and uh, just hanging out with all those amazing podcasters. And it's going to be a great ride. So really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. yeah. Check them out so and listen I. to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's Evergreen, evergreenpodcast.com, right? Yeah. And uh, there's links on our website, I think, now, right? Mm-hmm. So easy, easy to get there. 
And uh, with that, I think we're just going to quit yakking. Ooh, ooh, like bum, that bum, pun? Bum, bum. Horrible pun. Hello, I... Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of the bad jokes. Let's just kick it over to our interview with Rob Paulson. Rob, I want to thank you so much for being here with us. I honestly have to say, I was just talking with these guys before we started. Uh, we started this show in 2013, and you were one of the first people we were wanting to get on. And now to actually have you here is, like, so amazing. It's so amazing. Well, I am, I mean, we can stop right now. I'm so, I'm just absolutely thrilled and flattered, and I... Uh, you got to talk to the people who book your show because it's not like I've not been available for eight years. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I realize that now, but I just think our methods of reaching out have improved vastly. Drastically, yes. Oh, yeah. As I said before we even started recording, um, these opportunities are nothing short of a privilege for which I've worked very hard. Anytime that uh, a person decides to be a, a, a performer or something that is a, a job that was sort of born of a passion and and one finds oneself in this position um uh, it's a privilege so whenever it happens thank you very much for for taking the time to chat with me it's just, we're gonna have a ball very exciting it's gonna it, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i'm giddy i'm giddy boys giddy so let's just uh, i guess go back to your beginnings how did you get into uh, voice acting I moved out here to Hollywood in 1978, ostensibly to do live action. Uh, I was 22 years old, and I'd already had three years of, of practical experience, music, theater, um, doing itinerant theater, traveling around the United States and Canada. Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just I can't help it. Um, and so by the time I moved here, relative to being 22, I'd had a significant amount of, of professional experience, but it was time to jump in the, the big kid's sandbox. And I did not come here just to do animation. I came here to work, period, whatever that meant. I was a singer who became an actor. And by the time I started doing animation in the mid-late 80s, uh, after, I guess, eight or 10 years here, I, I had been doing what, what, what one would expect. In those days, it was MacGyver and St. Elsewhere and Hill Street and half a dozen features and a pile of, of on-camera commercials, and Boy Next Door, Young Husband, McDonald's, Ford, Chevy. Wow. Levi's, you name it, soft drinks, the usual fare. But um, in the mid-'80s, I want to say 80, 85-ish, 86, I don't know, um, I got a call from my agent saying, hey, have you ever thought of doing, about doing animation? I said, well, yeah, but a handful of people do all of it, um, actor-wise, because in those days, animation was relegated primarily to Saturday morning. Sadly, that whole experience has gone the way of um, right. yeah. you know, the dinosaurs. But um, so the, 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 the amount of product, while really fun and enjoyable, and some of it became iconic, it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous as it is now. I was there at the right time. And so acting, it turns out, is acting. Voice acting is small v, large a. The best voice talent 
are just good, solid actors or singers right. or whatever. That doesn't mean you can't start and have this really unique voice and create a unique character. But for it to, in my view, for it to become relatively iconic, stick around, i.e. Homer, Bugs, you name it, right? Um, they, they, I don't draw them and I don't write them. It's not faint, uh, a false modesty. I'm good at my job. Shit, I ought to be. But I need to make sure that my performance is at the same level of a world-class animator or Emmy-winning, Oscar-winning writing. Right. Uh, it is a deeply collaborative effort, as most of... Uh, look, we have you know three lovely young guys here. This is a collaborative effort. It always is. We're all better um, because of the phrase, a high tide raises all boats. You guys are better together. And same with me. But I walked into my first session, which was for G.I. Joe. I played a, two, a character called Snowjob mm -hmm. and Tripwire. And uh, I walked into the studio. Um, mind you, as I said, I was already making a living. But by a living, I mean it was a better quality ramen. You know, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't deciding which 9-11 to drive that day. Um, but, hey, man, I was thrilled. If somebody said, this is as good as it gets, mm -hmm. I'm in. I'd be happy to stay in a decent apartment and have good food, uh, only performing. I would have been happy. Um, but then this opportunity arose, and the first thing I noticed, you guys, was, wow, I recognize a lot of these actors from episodic television growing up, and none of them are performing animated characters that have anything to do with the way they look or what they would be cast for under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly liberating because I thought this is exactly why any kid becomes an actor, to, to become something else or someone else or some animal or whatever. It is the purest form of acting. It, it, sure. It's not um, only I don't have to worry about putting on you know, a, a suit or dressing up like a ninja turtle or whatever. And so I called my agent and said, oh my God, if there's more of this, Please, I'm in. I, I want to keep doing TV. I want to keep doing music. I, I want to work. Right. About seven, eight years after my first uh, couple of jobs, and the, the following week, I got a job on, on a show that turned out to be Transformers. And um, um, nobody knew it, of course, at the time. Right. Um, but about eight years into the experience, I said, that I, you know what? If the on-camera on stuff happens, great. But I'm going to focus here. Uh, because I was living that axiom that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. I didn't know that I was preparing for this little turn in my presumed career. Right. But I was totally ready for it. And um, so I came out here from Michigan and ultimately put myself in a position to get lucky 10 years after I arrived in L.A. for a, a kind of a different reason. Um, but I'm glad I made the choice. Because now in my 60s, I'm still not limited by the way I look. I'm working every day, and I will be able to as long as I either die or decide not to do it anymore. So right. uh, it was a good choice for me. And um, watch this, you guys. The only thing I have to do is say, Narf, look at that. <laughs> Nobody knows what it means. It doesn't matter. It's just you can't help what if I say, hey, are you guys going to finish that croissant? <laughs> it, it never fails. So no. I made the right choice, and boy, am I glad I did.
I would definitely say uh, so. We're certainly glad you did, yes, too. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, one thing I want to, you mentioned some on-screen appearances. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I want to touch on that I see a, a few places on the Internet, but I can't, I don't see it confirmed because I believe it's an uncredited appearance. Oh. But uh, your appearance in Spaceballs, were you actually oh. in that movie? Great, great story. I um, I am, not my face. My voice is kind of peppered through it. Um, you, do you guys know what looping is or ADR, post-production work? I think so, yeah. ADR is an acronym for automated dialogue replacing, replacement. So if you guys are the three actors in a, a scene mm-hmm. and I'm in the background cleaning up your office uh, or and talking to someone else, you guys are the centerpiece of the scene. The director works with you. And when he says action, everybody starts doing their thing. But the vocals of the people in the background would not be recorded. So right. all of that is put in post-production, whether it's, you know, yelling and screaming in a, in a, uh, a big, you know, a, a war or a casual conversation, glasses clinking, all that stuff is done in, in post-production. So on Spaceballs, I worked for two days on the movie with a really wonderful group of actors, and uh, we were all doing ancillary characters uh, for Mr. Brooks in different different areas of the movie. I did it on Endless Love and E.T. and Taps and Tron. Nice. Oh, my God. I just... Uh, I, I, a zillion of them. A zillion of Probably 40 movies before I was just getting started. Hmm. Um, yeah. And in this particular Spaceballs group were Lorraine Newman, Phil Hartman, John Paragon, who played Jambi the Genie, on um, oh wow, Peewee, Nancy Cartwright, who is now Bart or has mm-hmm. been for fifty years, and Corey Burton, who is one of the preeminent voice actors in Hollywood. And you guys, it, my favorite. Well, he's really well known at Disney for being the uh, voice of Ludwig von Drake um, for the last probably twenty years okay. because of uh, because Alan Young from Mr. Ed. Uh, years originally, but also Corey's the original voice of Count Dooku on the um, Star Wars. Uh, the Clone um, Wars. Yeah, and wow. I'm telling you, Corey is the real freaking deal. That guy is, just look this guy up. And and on a side note, what's really lovely about these opportunities to have to speak with you guys is um, Corey is very vocal about the fact that he is on the autism spectrum. When I, I've known Yori, Lori, Corey for 40 years. Okay. And Corey was always thought, like a lot of actors, to be, well, he's a little bit eccentric. Hmm. Is he gay? I don't know. Is he straight? I don't know. Just a little eccentric. Well, years ago, when I had a podcast, I was talking to him, and I said, God, Corey, we're talking about microphones. And I said, you have encyclopedic knowledge, literally, I mean, of of everything from a Telefunken to uh, a Mackie Carbon USB mic. You, you, you know, really, really right. crazy knowledge. And he said very soberly, oh, well, <laughs> I am on the autism spectrum. I, um, I've been diagnosed with, um, oh, gosh, one of the, uh, I forgot. Um, I'll think of it. Anyway, what was great about that was that not only did he feel comfortable saying it, but these opportunities allow us 
to discuss uh, things like uh, that and people like Corey Asperger's. And, and we never know who's going to watch this and say, oh, my God, I was watching Canned Air. Those guys are a blast. And I had this guy on, Ron, Ron Pullman, Ron something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's how that'll go. <laughs> but they were talking about Corey Burton. I looked the guy up and, oh, my God, I love this guy. I'm an Aspie. I was a little bit freaked out and didn't think maybe I could, you know, push out of my world. Look what Corey Burton's done. Right. The guy drives a Tesla. He works every day. Look what he's created. Wow. And he's he has Asperger's. So that's why I love, that's one of the great gifts that age, age has bestowed upon me. And I get these opportunities to shine a light on things that are really could be helpful to other people. But anyway, back to Spaceballs. Um, so a great group. And... Um, Phil was a very dear friend. They're all dear friends. I just talked to Lorraine Newman yesterday. Now, I got to stop dropping names. Bob De Niro told me that. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, for our purposes, uh, here's a great story. Uh, we're working on space balls, and Mr. Brooks comes in. He says, okay, kids, uh, uh, Bill Pullman, you know, the star of the show, uh, later on in a movie, he crashes on a sand planet, and as you guys recall, there are a bunch of critters that walk around in um, hoods and stuff, mm -hmm. and yes. they're little people. Now, Mr. Brooks was not quite so delicate. He said, we've we got a whole pile of midgets here. <laughs> and, uh, they call the dinks. They're walking around going, Jesus Christ, they're on a set, and there were dinks everywhere. Walking around, dink, 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 dink. Okay. <laughs> and, of course, that's what happened in the movie. So we got to have... Uh, a name for one of these dinks. You see right here, kids, watch this. Play it back, Larry. We'll watch again. Okay, right there. You see where that dink is handing Bill Pullman some water? I got to have a name for him because we got to refer to him later in the sh in the movie. So, can you got anybody got something? And of course, I'm with Phil Hartman. I mean, Lorraine Newman, world class yeah. improvisers. You know. So I looked at Phil, who's about six years older than I, maybe six or eight years older. And this was about probably three, four years, two, three years before SNL. But he was killing it in Hollywood. He was working on Pee Wee. They were all okay. good friends. Right. Yeah. So I, I said, hey, Phil. And one of my favorite poems as a kid was Gunga Din, um, about the Indian water boy who brings water to injured soldiers on the battlefield and ultimately has killed himself. In fact, there was a movie made of it in the 30s. But it's a great, great uh, tribute to an unsung hero uh, written by Rudyard Kipling, who wrote that brilliant poem, If, if you can keep your head while all around you are losing theirs. You know, it's just brilliant stuff. But that poem really stuck with me, Ganga Din. So I, water boy, din, add a K, Phil, Gunga Dink. Right? Nice. Well, Phil looks at me and he goes, holy shit, Robbie, that's Mel Brooks. Dude, you're 24 years old, man. What? You got to tell him that. This, You never know where that could lead. You got a captive audience and it's Mel Brooks. <laughs> so I said, nah, look, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you're afraid. I, I was 24. He's Mel Brooks. There's sure. a, you know, so a little bit, even though he asked for it, I was just, I didn't share it with Mel. I shared it with my friend. You know what I mean? Sure. So, so Phil goes, oh, no, no, no. Mr. Brooks? He goes, yeah, yeah, what do you got? He goes, not me. It's my friend Rob here. Tell him what you got, Rob. 
And so I said, well, Mr. Brooks, uh, as this particular dink is a, is a water bearer, I, I was thinking Gunga Dink. Well, the other actors laughed. Larry, God, what was his name? I forgot his name. Um, I can't remember. I remember his first name. Did a lot of dialogue editing on major pictures. Uh, he was laughing. The guys in the booth, great job. Everything settles down. What's your name, son? Um, I said, it's, it's Rob, Rob Paulson, Mr. Brooks. By the way, big fan. Thank you, thank you. It's nice to have you here today. Uh, Rob, let me tell you, in my business, wit is shit, funny as money. Who's got something else? Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> it broke my heart. Now, it, you know, not the end of the world, but I, I got a little bit embarrassed. And, and at lunch, this is the kind of guy Phil was. Phil said, hey, man, I'm sorry I put you on the spot. No, 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 man, you were just trying to help me. And, and you know what? God damn it. It was pretty, pretty clever for a 24-year-old knucklehead from Flint. And he said, oh, you know what? Because he's the way he was. You, you, out, you outshone him. He should have thought of that. One of his writers should have thought of that. Yeah. You thought of that. Right. Un a kid who's a day player is making 500 bucks to be here for the day. You know, you showed him up. Yeah. And I said, I don't think that's true. Doesn't matter. Phil thought it was true. Check this out. Years later, our friend Chris Hardwick, who's a dear pal of mine, we've been on our mutual podcast together, and he called me up. He said, Robbie, I had Mel Brooks on my podcast today, and I asked him about the Gunga Dink story. And Mel, and, and Chris, to his credit, was very straight. He said, I, I have my, my friend Rob Paulson, whom you probably don't remember, and certainly, you don't, I know you don't remember, but you probably don't know him. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, 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 Gunga Dink. Mel laughed and he said, uh, you know, that's, that sounds like something I would have said. Sorry, Rob, it was a great idea. <laughs> and so I said, well, thank you, Chris. I'm going to stop calling Mr. Brooks Mr. Bancroft. <laughs> but it, you know what? It, it, that's the cool things about age. And I know I'm rambling. But I have so many great stories. And you see my point. All of you guys have this to look forward to. And, and that it, whether, it doesn't have to be with Mel Brooks. You see my point. Yeah. I might have gotten heartbroken and a little embarrassed, but I was not dissuaded, obviously. I'm not going to let somebody embarrass me and not go to work anymore. But it made a great freaking story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a million years, at 24, at 34, at 44, what I've thought, you know, that Mel Brooks story that I totally forgot about it until social media started happening. Chris Hardwick does things like podcasts, and I start doing podcasts, and people dig around and they say, hey, you were on IMDb, wasn't around back then. Right. Hey, you're on Spaceballs. Oh my God, I remember this story. Phil Hartman's now gone, but let me tell you about, you see my point? Oh, yeah. All of, Absolutely. All of it serves to be depending upon the way you embrace them, really important part of one's life. They turn out to be excellent experiences. Yeah, part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Oh, my space ball story. <laughs> well, thank you. I had to, I had to confirm that. Our, our show <laughs> name is dedicated uh, to Spaceballs, yeah. Candare. And uh, you're yeah. now the second person we've had on from Spaceballs, so we're, we're kind of giddy. Yeah, <laughs> 
let's touch on some of these characters of yours first i want to look at the ninja turtles uh yeah. Raphael from the original series and of course donatello from the newer nickelodeon series which uh both shows fantastic uh works you know so right I, I, I gotta tell you you're right um and I obviously the first one, and, and thank you, by the way, and I can say you're right, because, as I said, I don't draw them and I don't write them. I, I, I can be objective. Sure. Uh, irrespective of my participation. When you're able to work on anything from a clean sheet of paper, writing the great American novel, Ninja Turtles, Gone with the Wind, mm -hmm. anything that becomes iconic, no one knows. No one knows that that's going to happen. So, yeah, that is a really big deal. Um, however, you're looking at a guy who's 50% of the Ninja Turtles, and if I live to be 100, I can knock them all out, right? But the, Kevin Eastman, um, one of the two creators of the franchise, is a dear friend. I don't know Peter, but Kevin's a very good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he said, I got to tell you, Rob, the 2012 Nickelodeon version in which I played Donatello is by most aficionados, I mean, real turtle nerds, say that is pretty much the most complete, authentic version oh, yeah. of what yeah. Kevin and yeah. Peter had in mind for the ethos of that whole world. And that's not taking anything away from the original because no one knew. But when you have people making another version of the show who grew up watching the original and reading the comic books, they're informed much more than right. the first yeah. production company was. So yeah, that version in which it was uh, Seth Green as Leo, Greg Sipes as Mikey, Sean Astin as Raph, and yours truly as Donnie is really good. It's really good. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It, it um, like, like you said earlier, it just pays perfect homage to the entire franchise. Every little detail, yes, make, you know, every part of it. Yeah. You know, even the little tidbits from like the other series that didn't do so well or things that only, uh, you know, hardcore fans are going to appreciate. It's for kids. It's for that next generation. And it's also yes. for the first generation, mm -hmm. you know? Correct. And uh, we kind of touched on it earlier about your relative ages compared to mine. Let me tell you something. And I'm saying this uh, and I'm as serious as a heart attack. The number of times that I've had young men and women your age who have spent time and money standing in line, uh, and not just me, there are so many of us who are beyond grateful to go to live events, and once COVID-con is over, I can't wait yeah. to get back to yeah. doing it. But the number of people who will come up to me and get tearful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say, Mr. Paulson, uh, I know most people are here to tell you how much they love Ninja Turtles, and... We do, too. My story is a little different. And, and I've heard this a number of times where people say, mine's a little different. And what they often say is, you know, it was a great thing to have all these cartoons that you and your friends have worked on, childhood heroes and stuff. But were it not for Ninja Turtles, my childhood would have been an absolute mess. And I, I'm not going to take too much of your time. I'm here with my wife. I'm here with my two kids. We're all wearing Ninja Turtle stuff. I'm 41. My wife is 38. But I was in the foster system, Mr. Paulson. I never met my parents. I never will. Um, I went to six different homes from the time I was six months old to 18. And every time it was traumatic. But every time there were lovely people who took me in and a television. And the one constant thread was fill in the blank. Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. um, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Mighty Max, The Tick, 
the mask, Jimmy Neutron, mm -hmm. Goof Troop, Darkwing Duck. That's just for me. The same thing is told to Mark Hamill about Batman or Kevin Connor or Billy West or Maurice the Marsh. Right. But I'm telling you, this is way bigger than just a paycheck for me or an action figure or an autograph. Yeah. I, uh, because of the advent of conventions and nice people like you, your age, who uh, allow me to talk about these things, I have learned so much from you guys about the extent to which these characters are important. It's really goddamned important yeah, to a man. lot of people. And when I see a, a family who uh, literally bonds over the fact that their sweet dad slash husband had no real childhood except, but for the fact that lovely people took him in, mm -hmm. but they all know how important Ninja Turtle is to their family. Right. And they're celebrating their dad's love of Ninja Turtles, they don't give a shit how old he is. And that that's a big deal, you guys, and I, I can never get enough of it. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a, uh, a three-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old son, and one of our favorite things to do is just sit down and watch the Ninja Turtles or Thundercats oh. or some of those old cartoons and sure. basically relive the, the childhood, uh, my childhood with them. Well, i got to tell you, uh, years ago, I had the great good fortune of working with Mel Blanc, and I oh, we were doing wow. a yeah. Oh, wow. So I worked with him the first time and I was sitting right next to him in Hanna-Barbera and I was not shaking, but I was shaken up. And, again. <laughs> sure. and he was probably in his late seventies. And I said, Mr. Blank, like everybody, I said, Mr. Blank, like everyone with a pulse, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, if it's not too much trouble. And of course he knew exactly what I wanted. And he took off his glasses, he looks at me, he says, yeah, what's up, Doc? And <laughs> now, I'm only doing a bad impression of Mel. Mm -hmm. And look what happened to you guys, just tangentially. Right. Yeah. It really made me go, and, <laughs> and it was spectacular. So I know what you mean, because immediately I was transported back into Livonia, Michigan, eating Cocoa Krispies with my you know, dad and mom and siblings laughing our asses off at Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Ian Bullwinkle. And, and I didn't even get the cultural reference to um, Wagner in Kill the Wabbit, Kill the Wabbit. I didn't know it was Ride of the Valkyries. It was just fun. Was, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, good stuff is good stuff, and it lasts. And knowing that you do that with your kids is the ultimate compliment for a journeyman actor in the... You know, I'm a blue-collar worker in the Dream Factory, man. I'm not a movie star. But when you guys tell me that, it it, it sure enough makes me feel like one. So yeah. I'm glad. I'm so glad you have those experiences. And thank you for that. He's basically a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Many well, superheroes. I don't cut a very imposing swath, you guys. I'm five nine and a half and a buck forty-five. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. 
Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. One thing I wanted to ask about uh, your portrayals of Raph and Donnie. Um, You know, they sound very similar, obviously, because they're coming from the same mouth. But there was an episode uh, in the Nickelodeon series where the realities and the cartoons pulled together. And we had that quick scene where, uh, you know, old Raph and newer Donnie are arguing about their voices being, what's wrong with your voice? And boy, I loved it. I was on my side. (laughs) But um, one thing I noticed when that exchange was happening, though they sound so familiar, there is a small tinge, a small nuance between the two. And I wondered if uh, you could tell us what that is. How do you differentiate them? Um, acting. And <laughs> yeah. now, I'm not trying to be a smartass. Thank you so much for illustrating or using that to illustrate your point. Another interesting story. Uh, I had been working in Nickelodeon on a lot of stuff. I was in Jimmy Neutron you know, I was Carol, the little croissant, obsessed dude, and look what's happening. They're like freaking out. Um, it's the best part of my gig. So I was very, uh, I was a family member at Nickelodeon. Fairly odd parents, uh, Cat Scratch, um, Danny Phantom, um, um, Jimmy Neutron, all that stuff. Um and so I happened to be working at Nickelodeon the day that my agent sent me a text and saying, hey, Rob, um, Nickelodeon wants to have you come in and read for Ninja Turtles. Did you know, you probably knew that Viacom, who owns uh, Nickelodeon, bought the rights to Turtles in 2010. And they want to have you audition. And I wrote her back and I said, and this was not out of arrogance. I was 55 at the time. And I wrote her back and said, well, that's great. And yeah, I had heard of that. But do they know who I am? I mean, the reason I say that is because I don't want to go in there and have them say, oh, wait a minute, you were Raphael. Oh, that's right. We didn't. And I, I didn't want to embarrass them and make them feel like, you know, my well, the old guys here, why don't we let them read? Because I, they wouldn't do it to embarrass me. Mm-hmm. It's something that was a concern to me. And boy, did I learn a lesson. I'm the one who almost aced myself out of a gig because of my own age discrimination. <laughs> I was concerned with my age. And my agent called back and she, chuck, she you know, wrote a happy face. No, 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 no. They know exactly who you are. They know that you, know, that you want an Emmy and Pinky and all the other stuff. And you've been there forever. They know, they know all that stuff. They just think that you might be in, an interesting choice for what they want from Donnie in this iteration, if you don't mind reading. And I said, my God, of course I don't mind reading. Um, and I got the goddamn job. It was a really great example of putting my own biases about myself aside. How people feel about me is none of my business. When I go in there, they asked for me to be there. I don't, it shouldn't, I should not be the least bit concerned about my age, my hair, my color whether I'm gay, straight, black, white, orange, they're not worried about it. What the hell is my problem? So it was a really valuable lesson well into my middle age. And not only did I get the job, we've already discussed, it was probably the best version so far of that franchise. Oh, absolutely. But 
But what your point about the subtle differences, you have proved, you have given me the greatest compliment you can give to an actor. And, and that is uh, that if I'm doing my job as an actor, the fact that Raphael sounds similar to Donatello should have no bearing on your being kind enough to willingly suspend your disbelief, right? And jump into the show. Mm -hmm. If you're watching it and you're constantly reminded that, God, every time the guy in purple speaks up, it reminds me of the old guy in the red. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't get yeah. by that. That was a mistake, Nickelodeon. But I don't know that that's ever happened. We certainly haven't received any fan mail. And that means that I've done my job well. Now, a great example is how many movie stars, and I'm, again, please understand, this is not comparing myself to a movie star, but, but the, the, um, the analogy is relevant. We know what Jack Nicholson sounds like. I don't care if he's doing the Joker or if he's saying, here's Johnny, or if he's in Cinderella Liberty or Easy Rider. Jack Nicholson has whatever that X factor thing is that makes him a movie star. Right. Um, but he changes it and you buy it, whether he's in Postman Always Rings Twice or Chinatown. Similarly, if I'm doing my job at the level I should be doing it, my voice and my performance melds perfectly with the writing and the animation. And yeah, okay, Rob, it sounds like it could be Rob Paulson. Who cares? I love Donatello. Mm -hmm. I'm buying Donatello. So you're absolutely correct. There are nuanced differences on purpose, by choice. Um, and that is what I, I, you know, at that time I was already had been a pro in L.A. for, you know, 27 years. And so I, no, 37 years, yeah. So I should be good. Um, <laughs> that's the ultimate compliment to me because I don't think anybody had a problem. In fact, it was the opposite. Holy shit, you know who they got to do, Donatello? Yeah, they got that's to, exactly they got, what it was. I don't yeah. even know the guy's name, but listen to him. It's, it's the same guy that was Raphael, on the first one, so Nickelodeon was very smart because not only did they, you know, um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, hire a good actor for the job, they had a very interesting hook to continue that nostalgic thread. So every interview we all did collectively at the big Comic Cons, New York, San Diego, Chicago, everywhere, USA Today, New York Times, over and over again. It was like, well, wait a minute, you got, hey, I got to tell you, I love you from 1980, from 1989, 1990, and now you're back, and this is great. So it gave a really interesting sort of line of authenticity. Right. And it was a very smart move. Um, and it turned out to be great. But it wouldn't have had I not been really good at my job. And that's not... <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I should be. I get paid really well. Right. The guy who comes to fix my roof is really good at fixing the roof. And so I thank you very much. And and I, I that is the ultimate compliment for me because that means I'm I'm doing my job and and the, the details have been, you know, were handled appropriately and the show worked. Very well. Absolutely. That's what we do at Candair's yeah. compliments. <laughs> and, and you do it very well. <laughs> I've got a whole page here to read from now, so get ready. <laughs> Any questions, guys? Please? Um, I did have one, Mr. Paulson. I used Please. to... 
please call me Rob. Fair or, enough. <laughs> or asshole. Having, <laughs> having been married for 30 plus years, I respond to the latter like that. Oh, oh you, I know you, that you, one. Yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> or we can do a space balls thing and go, asshole, major asshole. <laughs> hey, there you go. Don't do that. <laughs> That's right. Wit is shit, funny is money. What do you got, asshole? <laughs> <laughs> so I was a huge PC gamer growing up, and I played a little game called Planescape Torment. Oh, and uh, one of the characters was a floating skull who you voiced, which was just freaking amazing. Um, my question to you is, I know you've done other uh, video game acting and stuff, uh, voice acting. How do you take a different approach doing some of that dialogue for, you know, the video games and the computer games that you do for your uh, your regular cartoon roles? No, uh, my process is the same. Uh, um Acting is acting, and my acting is my acting. I, my choices are initially my own, and then they're modified, changed, thrown out, whatever, by directors, writers, producers. But the only thing that is usually different about video games in terms of process is that most of the time I work by myself. I don't do that many games, mm. uh, but and I've not done any mocap games. Those are really big now, and buddies of mine like Nolan North and Troy Baker and Jen Hale and um, Erica Ishii, they do a K-Best. They all do motion capture stuff. Um, so it's a it's more of a full-time acting. Yeah, physical. Um, but the only thing that is different really is being uh, working by myself. Certainly in the time of COVID, I'm recording to the extent I do go to a studio. I do a lot of it from home now for the time being. But if I go into a studio... I'm by myself, but under normal circumstances, I try to record with the rest of a cast okay. um, in any animated show I work on. All of Pinky and the Brain, all of Animaniacs, all of Ninja Turtles, all of The Tick, The Mask, Jimmy Neutron, Darkwing Duck, you know, Goof Troop, Gummy Bears, all of that, including uh, uh, the later iteration of Ninja Turtles, Seth, Sean, Greg, Hoonley, and I were always there if possible. It was always a priority. It is not such in video games, but I much prefer being around the other actors because, like I said, a high tide raises all boats. I'm way better. I mean, look at the names I throw out there. Absolutely. Billy Wilson, yeah. Joe John, you know, I, I, those people are Maurice, Jess, Tress, personal friends, obviously, but the best of the best, and you cannot help but get better. So I, I much prefer it. Working with the rest of the cast has got to be easier because you get to feed off each other and get yeah, like, like to play off yeah. of their performances mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, way better. Yeah, and it's like I think any any actor would would probably say the same thing. I I uh, if you're doing promos or commercials and yeah, you got a fax machine or something you can download your things and you go, you know wear your jammies and plug into your microphone and say, coming up next on Canned Air. And then you get a check or you get your money Venmoed to you and off you go. But I would much prefer to be in the studio than be at home. I'm an old Hollywood dog, and I sure. and I like being that way. I, I love being around creative people. Um, the writers and musicians, players I know, and I've known them for 30 years. People have been to my house dozens of times. We've been to each other's kids' birthday parties, marriages, you know, deaths of parents, things like that. And they've been in my life for 30 or 40 years. And every time I work with them, and this is the gospel truth, somebody, Frank Welker will do something. And I've worked with him 300 times. Wow. Like, 
played golf with him 50 times, and he still does something that makes me go, holy shit, where did that come from? Right. How do you... And I love that. I love being surprised by new folks whom I've never met, whom I, I, I cannot wait to see their star rise, like Eric Bowser, who's the new wonderkind over at Warner Brothers, um, or my old pals, Jeff Bennett, you know, Maurice LaMarche, Frank Welker, Peter Cullen. Mm. Uh, these guys are, you know, we were taught, you mentioned um, He-Man, one of my dearest friends in the world I just talked to last week on, uh, on, um, uh, on the phone, Alan Oppenheimer is the voice of Skeletor. Mm -hmm. He's right. He's 90. <laughs> and he shared a story with me the other day about a movie he did called Star with Julie Andrews. And I, I knew he was in it, but the story was fantastic. And I thought, oh, my God, Alan, that's another great surprise. And I've known you for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I prefer being with, you know, all the other actors. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, the Animaniacs in there, and you know that we were going to be talking <laughs> about them coming up. So stop me. Uh, <laughs> goosebumps, man. Goosebumps. But I got to tell you, though, um, as much as I love that show in the 90s growing up, I haven't seen it in years. Mm -hmm. And when and when Hulu said they were bringing it back, I got excited. But, you know, I guess I hadn't remembered how funny it actually was until I turned on that first episode. And yeah. I was on my side, how aware the mm -hmm. characters are addressing the time that's passed. And then the songs you guys were singing, like the rebooted song. Fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, I had planned to like poke my head in on it, but I've got two episodes left to finish in the series. Like in that season, it's that good. I couldn't stop watching it. So bravo to you guys. Mm -hmm. So glad it is back. And, uh, I guess how did that happen? What were your initial reactions to it coming back? Oh boy. Um, my God. I mean, look, every time I have a chance to do uh, what I'm doing with you lovely guys today, I, I'm reminded of that I really have won the lottery, and, and I know it. Um, it's an interesting story. Here we go again. <laughs> uh, because, uh, well, and I, you'll, you'll see why, but years ago when I was doing my pod, I did a podcast for years called Talking Tunes. Oh, I'm yeah. very um, aware of that. Thank you. And it's they're all available on, I think, Spotify now, um, and there are four or five different permutations, the last of which was on um, Nerdist as a video on camera right. version. But anyway, uh, when I started doing it, after having done it for, I don't know, um, four, three or four months, m my dear friend Randy Rogel, who wrote United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, and um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and, you know, and also, it's a great big universe, and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. He wrote <laughs> the Animaniacs songs, but the ones that most people know, and he won a half a dozen Emmys for them. Right. And, you know, now he's even better, and we're best of friends. And so I called Randy and said, hey, man, people really love when I talk about Animaniacs, or I bring... Tress on, or somebody who wrote Peter Hastings, one of the producers, or Tom Ruger, creator. Why don't we do an evening of Animaniacs music? We'll do it at the Improv in Hollywood with just a piano and you and me, and we'll do 20 songs and talk about it. Well, people flipped out. So we started doing it around town. Yeah, you might make a couple of bucks, but we didn't do it about that. We did it to, for the joy. Mm -hmm. And apparently, people at Warner Brothers started taking notice. Um, I didn't know this till later, but a few years after Randy and I made a real concerted effort to put a cohesive show together 
and take it around the country, a la Animaniacs in concert, we got a call that is uh, Randy Rogel, Tress McNeil, who's Dot, Maurice LaMarche, the brain, and Jess Harnell, wacko, got a call from Sam Register, the current and 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 then and current present president of Warner Brothers Animation. And we had a, a fancy Hollywood dinner, literally in the shadow of the water tower at St. Morton's, right next to uh, the Warner Brothers studio in Burbank. And um, he said, okay, well, you guys probably are wondering why I'm here, but based on the company, I think you got a pretty good idea. Steven, that Steven, <laughs> is interested in, uh, he thinks he'd like to do Animaniacs again and Pinky and the Brain. Because Pinky and the Brain was spun off into their own show, it's definitely going to have those four characters. Not sure about the rest of them, but we want to do at least one season. And um, he's going to pitch it to all the new ways in which people consume uh, entertainment. Hulu, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, etc. So we just wanted to take your temperature and see if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of you to ask, Stephen. But <laughs> are you kidding me? The king of Hollywood. And moreover, the fact that Stephen made sure that it was we who were going to be reprising our roles in this era of stunt casting in Hollywood, which I have no problem with. I really don't. It's not my money. It's not my business. If you want to have Brad Pitt be the talking dragon, no problem. But it doesn't necessarily, without a good script, who cares? Yeah. Right. Um, However, in this case, Stephen, because he cast us in the original, was, oh, no, no, if we do this and you guys are interested and you can do it, that's how it's going to go down. Well, we had this dinner, and I had literally finished my first week of radiation and chemotherapy for stage three throat cancer. Um, and my friends knew it because I only told a few people and I had not. I had been told, "Look, we can. We're virtually sure we can cure you. Can you do your job at the same level? We don't know." I hadn't mentioned it to Sam yet, because I really, my wife and I really felt it was on a need-to-know basis. I didn't need to put it on Facebook, and I didn't. Right. right. I don't need that. I needed to put my head down, and get through it. I didn't feel sorry for myself. Everybody knows someone that's had cancer. Pretty much everyone knows somebody who's died from it. I'm not special. I had to get through it, but. As you can imagine, the timing kind of kicked my ass. We got in the parking yeah. lot, and I looked at all of them, and I said, Jesus Christ, I don't even know what to say, you guys. And, of course, they were, because the inference was, well, Robbie, if you can't do it, I probably won't hire one guy and bring us back. So right. it's all or nothing. Trust Jess and Mo had no problem with that. They loved me. That wasn't even part of the issue. It was a problem for me. Because I know how hard it is to get work. I know how unique this specific, specific situation is. With Steven, with these guys, again, with a show that has an exponentially larger fan base on a brand new platform, are you, you know what, in kidding <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, what is that axiom? We make plans and God laughs. Right. I'm going... Couldn't I have gotten toe cancer? <laughs> <laughs> of all the places to find it, yeah, yeah your really. throat. So anyway, we just pressed on. The, the somewhat good news in the meeting was that, now look, we're on Stephen time. This was uh, fall, I don't know, August? Of, or no, it was maybe May 
April or May of 2016. It was five years ago. Okay. And we thought, the general idea was that maybe by this fall, we'll have something going. Well, hell, I wasn't even going to be done with my treatment mm. till the fall. And so I just didn't panic, kept my head down, and got through my stuff. Well, it turns out Stephen time was good for me because it took two more years for the deal to get made, Hulu to be on board, the contracts to be sussed out. And we started recording in uh, 2018, and the show came out in 2020, and uh, just last November. Right. Mm -hmm. And now, not only was I able to be cured, not only did I not panic, not only did my friends stay right there with me, Sam Register, when I told him, was nothing but, Robbie, don't you worry about it. Stephen wants you. We want you. No one knows about this. Let's just see how it plays out. Don't, I know where your head is going. Don't do that. All of these wonderful people in Hollywood, they're all veterans of Hollywood, and they're the loveliest, kindest, sweetest people. The, the suggestion was, if you are even close to being able to do it, we'll work, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't, don't you worry about it. We know what's important, and that is you dealing with the treatment, which is fucking brutal. It has to be. You know, it's your mouth, your throat, it's tough. But it works like a charm. So, because I didn't panic, and because I have people who love me, and because Stephen takes time, because he has a lot of irons on the fire, I still remember the first episode uh, in which I had a song. I had no problem going back to being Yakko and look, all of a sudden, right away, that gas starts happening and you start going again. Um, but I sang my first song as Yakko after my cancer treatment. And I, I so remember asking the people on the other side of the glass to just give me a moment because uh, I, I hit every note. The composers who didn't know anything about my recent health issues. Right. Uh, two wonderful composers who are listening in via Skype, I mean via Zoom, on, um, in, they're in, in Scotland. And um, great. Rob, terrific. I think we got it. Anybody got any pickups? The producer, nope, great. It wasn't, you know, he sounds pretty good for a guy who had throat cancer. He sounds pretty good for a guy who had seven weeks of radiation and a pile of chemotherapy. It wasn't that. It was like, great. Wow. You're back. Animaniacs is back. And I just had to take a moment to really sort of embrace the fact that, holy shit, I'm not going to be judged on, he doesn't sound too bad, dot, dot, dot. Right, it's right. Like, oh, Animaniacs is back. Wow, what? He had cancer? Shit, I never would have known. That's the story. Um, more importantly, your kindness in asking about it. Uh, and by the way, I agree with you. Again, I can be objective because I didn't write that stuff. It's really good. It's right. very smart. They do a great job of transitioning from a quarter century ago today and acknowledging what's happened. Right. And we're self-aware. In fact, I think even the new, the, the theme song has had half of it tweaked. It has, yeah. The second half is gender-balanced, pronoun-neutral, and <laughs> diverse... The trolls all say, we're so passe, but we did meta first. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that right from the get-go. But the story, you guys, is really about your kindness. Because 
Uh, it so happens that today is um, there's a uh, uh, you didn't know this and I didn't know it till a couple of days ago, but I've, I'm, I've been the spokesman for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance for two years now, for obvious reasons. Right. I have uh, you know throat cancer, stage three metastatic squamous cell throat cancer, uh, from which I've been cured, but because of what I do and the fact that I can do my gig at this level after uh, the treatment. It, it, is very helpful in helping other people deal with their circumstances. Sure. Mm -hmm. So, turns out that right today, in today's episode of USA T episode, today's hard copy and online of USA Today, there's an insert with yours truly on the cover talking about my throat cancer and the fact that Animaniacs is back and you too can get through this, right? So that's the story, you guys. I hope people love Animaniacs. Oh, I yeah. really do, because, you know, it really, we are so in this together, and never has that been truer than what we've seen with COVID and, and, and international politics, race relations. We really, really, really are all in this together. But it turns out that we can all laugh together, too. And Animaniacs is a great example uh, of being able to shine light on an old show with a bigger audience on a new platform with the king of Hollywood at 73 years old, using the same actors, all of us smiling all over the world again. Oh, and the guy who voices the star of the show had throat cancer a couple years ago. And by the way, read this, because you guys, somebody is going to hear this or listen to this. It might be tomorrow. It might be five, year, five years from now. And they're going to be able to say, hey, Dad, check this out. You were just diagnosed. I love you, Dad, but you're going to be okay. You know why? We've been watching Pinky and the Brain. How much we love that show, and now you got grandkids. We're all watching it. This guy was diagnosed with the same cancer you have, Dad, a year before he started recording these episodes, and you'd never know the difference. You're going to be okay, Dad. That is the story. And you guys are allowing me the opportunity to share it. This is what all of this really is about at the highest, most human level. It's not hyperbole. It's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't use that word unless I'm really trying to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big a deal it is. I mean, yeah, for me personally, but it's not... It, 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 it's more about what we can do collectively to shine a joyful light. Mm -hmm. People laugh. But guess what? As you're laughing, you can also get some inspiration out of this guy's story. Right. Uh, because you can avail yourself of the same treatment. You go to headandneck.org, and I'm there talking about it. And there's a lot of great information on, on though this 600,000 people are going to be affected with this particular type of cancer this year, if you catch it and you treat it, you're going to be okay. If I had ignored my doctor's warnings when I was diagnosed five years ago this month, I would have been dead for two years by now. Jesus. So that is the good news. And I am so grateful that you gave me the opportunity to talk about it because that is the context that makes me proudest of, uh, to speak about in the, in the context of Animaniacs. Right, and and um, we're going to be putting that link on our uh, oh, on the post and website and help yeah. direct people over there as well. And I'm <clears throat> very curious also about a book, your book you have out, uh, Voice Lessons, 
how a couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac saved my life. And, yep. you know, um, I, based on that title, I would gather that people can probably hear more about uh, your story, uh, not only, you know, in voice work, and, but uh, with, you know, dealing with throat cancer. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. In fact, you can find it uh, on Amazon, all the usual places. If, if you do happen to go to an in-person place, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, there, you know, it's available in all the biography sections. And yes, the cancer is discussed at length, the treatment, the side effects, how it affected me personally. And it, it is important because that is, I believe, the, the greatest gift that I can give back to people is my experience and my knowledge. Sure. Look, I've been paid very well to do what used to get me in trouble in seventh grade. And <laughs> now I see uh, how really happy it makes other people. And that is in and of itself an incredible gift. And the best way for me to give it back is to say, here's my story, and I hope you like it. But the important parts are what you can learn to maybe save yourself or someone you love. And right. I can give you up-to-the-minute, verifiable, real-time information, anecdotal information, because I lived it. And that's, as I said, you know, the people will learn about the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, headandneck.org. But the audio version of the book is, I think, even more entertaining because all the characters pop up and talk to Rob about his cancer. It's pretty interesting oh. the way that my, um, the co-writer, Mike Fleeman, um, did all the heavy lifting. And it was his device, his um, mechanism to use the characters to discuss this with me. Uh, in fact, the opening of the book is me saying, Pinky, I, I got to talk to you about something. I, you know, hey, God, Rob, what is it? Are you going to be okay? Well, I'm not a, I'm not a cancer. I'm a Pisces, but it appears that I have, have cancer. Yeah, are you going to die? Well, I might. Well, who's going to pay for this car? Well, he goes, yeah, but you do, you asshole. Who's going to pay? You know, and it was a really interesting way to get into it. And it turns out people really love to hear these characters come up for obvious reasons. But it's a, a very effective device to get people's attention and a, and a, a lighthearted way to, to draw attention to a very important subject. Sure. Um, but it really has the happiest of Hollywood endings because the guy who gets the cancer, who brings people joy via Pinky and Carl and Yakko and PJ and, and Raphael and Donatello and Arthur, and turns out that his cancer is gone and he's back able to do it. And, and everyone can relate to that story, whether it's being able to hug their grandchildren or attend their their child's wedding or get married again to the right one this time because they took care of, they, they took care of it. They didn't ignore, ignore the signs. And, and so that's how I can best give back. And you gentlemen are allowing me that wonderful privilege of doing it today. And it is never not really important. Exactly. And I think uh, Audible's about to get some of my business again. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to hear this. I've got to hear it. It sounds good. Okay. Um, one more uh, thing here. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention Talking Tunes because we started this show, uh, like I mentioned earlier, 2013. Mm -hmm. And when starting it, we had no idea what we were doing, getting into. Same just 
just starting and just seeing where we go. So I was listening to a lot of shows on kind of to see how it's done and yours being one of them. And one thing that, no, thank you. Thank you. Because uh, a lot of wisdom came from that. And uh, so one thing you used to do on that show uh, with the voice actors you'd had on is like read like <laughs> movies, like scenes in, in uh, your guys's characters. So I was um, wondering if you'd be up for something similar to that. Not quite as intensive right sure. now, but I just sent yeah. you a, a, a document uh, through Skype there. If you open the chat, there's a PDF. Oh, great. And uh, please don't feel obligated to do this PDF if you don't want to. I feel like I'm saying, dance, monkey, dance. You know, <laughs> PDF stands for pretty damn fabulous, doesn't it? <laughs> That's right. Last time I checked. Let's see. The download is complete. So let's see here what it says. Uh, oh, great. Oh, excellent. Perfect. You like this what you see? Done on, uh, at um, uh, Nerdist. Excellent idea, my friend. Yeah. So you want me to do Joker. Ask Pinky. If, 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 yeah, if you can uh, channel it. <laughs> I have the technology. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, whenever you're ready, let's do it. So here we go. All right. Now then, I have a question for you. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars or a mouse chasing the brain. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just, I just do things. I'm like Nike. I just do it. Oh, man. All right, as Yakko. Now, this is Ian Malcolm's speech from Jurassic Park as read by Yakko Warner. <clears throat> Hello, dinosaur freaks. Now, look, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories and crashes through barriers painfully, like water towers, maybe even dangerously. But, um, well, there it is. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much for doing that. Yes, thank you, sir. I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Not at all. In fact... Do me a favor. Ask me. I've, I've come up with a new one for you guys oh, as a response sweet, to sweet. Pinky. Are you pondering what I'm pondering? So collectively, all three of you at the same time say, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And I will respond. Oh, wow. OK. <laughs> OK, you guys ready? Okay. Yeah. One, two, three. Pinky, Pinky are you pondering what I'm pondering? pondering? Well, I think so, gentlemen. But if Jack's black and Betty's white, is Marvin gay? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, you uh, broke me on that one. Thanks, guys. No, thank you, man. And um not to sound like an ass kiss, but just to be perfectly honest, thank you just for being so open, honest, and appreciative oh. with your fans. Because I'm, I'm not just talking about here. I've you know been doing research, and you're just genuinely that way with your fan base. You, you're one of those talents that I don't want to say other people are unappreciative, because yeah. everyone's very appreciative mm -hmm. and very nice. But you seem like you get it. You truly understand that connection between a viewer or a fan, rather, and a character. So thank okay. you. Um, I, it is, again, I, I have, it's my pleasure. I have worked really hard for sure. this privilege. Um, and, and it is nothing short of that. Um, no one is forced to be an actor. In fact, 
most people have stories about their parents or the girl they left behind or the boy they left behind or, you know, a, a marriage breaking up because they couldn't get rid of that Jones to be an actor. Right. Mm -hmm. So if one is fortunate enough to be like me, like I said, a, a blue collar worker in the dream factory and have a, a wonderful career and then talk with three nice young guys who've grown up with this stuff and they make a fuss over you, it, it does not get any better. And because we have social media, I, I get to see how people behave when Carl shows up or Raphael shows up and it is glorious. So right. I am so grateful and uh, I'm glad that you know me now well enough to know that those interactions with fans um, and, and the, the excitement you see from this old whack job before you is utterly authentic. It's not Absolutely. contrived. I really feel that way. Um, so thanks for noticing. And you guys have been an absolute delight. And um, all of you out there that are lucky enough to watch and listen to these folks on a regular basis, keep it up because they're getting it right. And um, <laughs> my credo is laughter is the best medicine. You can't OD and the refills are free. So for God's sake, keep laughing. Love that. Perfect. That is perfect. Rob, thank you so much, sir, for this uh, opportunity. Thanks, guys. Stay healthy. And that was our interview with Rob Paulson, or conversation, I should say, or just sitting around having a damn good time with Hell Rob yeah. Paulson. Hell yeah. What a generous, generous man he is. Like, I've. N How many people have we had through this show that do what he does? Quite a few. I love that. Oh, yeah. They've all been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. But I've never seen anyone like totally fucking get it. Yeah. Like yeah. this guy gets. Yeah. Understands his end and our end. It's I, not just his end and, you know, the fans, the peons. He he, ha he understands. I'm sorry, Randy. I was just going to say, it just seemed like he was as legitimately excited to be on as we were excited yeah. to mm -hmm. have him on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you get that second lease on life. I'm sure yeah. it probably does some that stuff to you. And, bit, but yeah. But, but uh, I think he, I think he was just as awesome before his diagnosis. Totally yeah. solid guy. Yeah. From what I've been uh, gathering in research. But um, one thing I forgot to uh, say while we were talking with him were his social media handles. You can find him on Instagram at Rob underscore Paulson and on Twitter at Yakko Pinky and uh, head to robpaulsonlive.com and there's all kinds of stuff over there you can do. I think he has a, um, he does like live autograph signings from home and you can either send your own stuff in to be autographed or choose something on his website there to pick an autograph and it'll send to you. So uh, lots of cool ways to get in touch with uh, the legendary Rob Paulson. You have to say legendary before. Absolutely, it? absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny to hear him talk about Mel Blanc and the wonder in his eyes. And then, you know, we're here having that same experience. Yeah, yeah, and exactly it's that, thing, yeah. it's those it's those moments he was telling us about that gives him that that understanding that we were mentioning, you know, yeah. puts him right on that same plane with, I don't know, such a big person who doesn't have to be that cool. Very, just amazing. very humble, amazing guy. And it was an honor to have him on. Maybe we'll Quite be in one of his stories. He's telling somebody next time. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> but we can dream. Yeah, we can dream. We can dream. I remembered it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other. Watch me ice skate!
Wait, come back. The ice could break. Whoops. Help. Quickly walk back to the edge. Stop, you'll break through the ice. Snow job. Grab this branch. You should have been listening to canned air. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Snow job, how'd you get your name? Um, G.I. Joe. This has been a canned air production. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.